We've got Mark Uptegrove. Uptegrove, we love that name. Um, <laughs> the author of Incomparable Grace, JFK in the Presidency. This is not your first rodeo. This is not your first president book, Mark. You've read, <laughs> written five prior to this. So uh, what, what led you to JFK? It seems like that's territory that's been been traveled quite a bit. What, what led you to the, do the JFK book? Well, there's no question this is well-trod territory. There's a pretty well-known president. But, you know, I, I've always believed you, you write the book you want to read. And while I've read some good books on John F. Kennedy, I, I hadn't read this one. And I wanted uh, a, a book that almost reads like a novel, a brisk take on Kennedy's presidency and all its ups and downs and triumphs and tragedies and ultimately its consequence where you understand what Kennedy was going through, through these incredibly turbulent days of his presidency, what they meant and what his leadership meant in those moments. So I hadn't read this book and many who have read it said it reads like a novel. That's exactly what I was going for. It's uh, it is a fascinating period. And I think it is, as you say, well-traveled because uh, it's, it's, you know, I think there was always something about Kennedy beyond the presidency i mean his magnetism and you, you bring that out in the book that he's he became a star uh, like a matinee star you, you, yeah. you actually cite that well now without question and it's it's hard to realize now that but but john f kennedy won the election of 1960 and the presidency with two tenths of a percentage point uh if not for a few votes in illinois and texas the presidency would have gone to vice president richard nixon who was he had been vice president for eight years under dwight eisenhower kennedy's predecessor. That is a squeaker. But by the time he's uh, president uh, through uh, the course of the transition and, and when he ultimately becomes president on January 20th, 1961, all the, the American people are really rallied around this young guy. He's young, he's elegant, he's clearly ambitious, he's smart. And we see in the inauguration speech that he gives on that, 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 that day, that indelible inauguration speech that he's somebody we can we can really get behind we we all remember the the rhetoric uh ask not what your country can do for you ask what you can do for your country he's asking to reach beyond ourselves at this crucial time in american history at a time when we're battling for hearts and minds throughout the world as we're enmeshed in a cold war with the soviet union this this uh communist tyranny that threatens uh, nations that that are vulnerable to, uh, to 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 the Soviet Union. So that uh, it's a it's a remarkable thing that the the American people come so quickly to embrace John Fitzgerald Kennedy as their president. We're talking with Mark Updegrove uh, on the presidency of John F. Kennedy, and that's you know one of the things you bring out in the book, and I think it's it's easy to forget was. Well, the family, the Kennedy family was was actually an issue, wasn't it? Because, well, they're everywhere. There, there was Bobby, <laughs> who became attorney general and, and played quite a role. Uh, you speak to Bobby Kennedy. There's there's an interesting character. Yeah. You know, he, he shows his loyalty to his brother and his indispensability to his brother during um, John F. Kennedy's political ascent. First, he you know, John, John F. Kennedy runs for Congress in 1946 after World War Two and becomes representatives for his district in Boston, Massachusetts, and then he becomes senator uh, of Massachusetts in 1950 and then sets his sights on the presidency. And by his side throughout these campaigns uh, is Bobby Kennedy, who is, you know, works harder than everybody else. And the Kennedys, more than anyone, would tell you that 
blood is thicker than water and it's important to have a family member around. So when Kennedy becomes president, his father tells him, you've got to have Bobby. You've got to appoint Bobby to attorney general. And that is bold-faced nepotism. And the Kennedys know that there will be great controversy around it. But John F. Kennedy does it because he wants his brother by his side once again, knowing that family loyalty will make a huge difference in the in the presidency. And it does. The two communicate, as Jack Kennedy says, almost by osmosis. They can finish each other's sentences. They know what what each other thinks about certain issues. And Bobby Kennedy becomes an indispensable advisor. At the same time, um, the uh, youngest Kennedy son, Ted Kennedy, uh, becomes senator of Massachusetts, eventually taking the seat that his brother once held um, as, as senator from the, the Bay State in 1962. So there's something at the time called Kennedyism, where it looks like the Kennedys are absolutely dominating American politics, and in many ways they are. The, uh, the interesting thing that I was recalled, because I'm old enough to remember this, some of this, your book brings out a lot more than, than I ever knew, but the, the relationship between Bobby Kennedy and LBJ, Lyndon Johnson, and let's, let's say that, Mark, you, you know something about Lyndon Johnson. You're, you, you were the director, right, of the LBJ Presidential Library? And, I was uh, the director for eight years, and now I'm the president CEO of the uh, LBJ Foundation. But, uh, but yeah, I know a little, little bit about Lyndon Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> who's, who's, before we get to Bobby and, and uh, LBJ, you know, history has a way of, of you know, casting its, its light on, on things, and that changes sometimes. But LBJ and JFK, let's use their acronyms, uh, initials. The, who's, who's more underrated, overrated? Do you have a thought on that? Well, there's no question that the, the more underrated is, is LBJ. I mean, we think right. of uh, John F. Kennedy and as being one of the great presidents. He's, you know, typically nominated or, or thought about uh, in the top 10 of all presidents by historians. And the American public rates John F. Kennedy even higher. And that's because, to a certain degree, history in its most cursory form is a beauty contest. And John F. Kennedy would win a beauty contest. He's elegant and graceful. And we talked about his soaring rhetoric. He's incredibly eloquent and gets us to reach beyond ourselves. Um, but LBJ is, is largely underrated. He's not going to win any beauty contests. He's sometimes crude. Uh, he's uh, you know, not particularly attractive. He has a you know, deep Southern accent at a time when there was far more prejudice against those from the South, he, he looks like a, sounds like a bumpkin at times, but LBJ is enormously effective at getting legislation through. And uh, he comes after John F. Kennedy, of course, takes the presidency when John F. Kennedy is assassinated in November of 1963 and pushes through things that John F. Kennedy could have only imagined. The Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Immigration Act of 1965, Medicare, Medicaid, federal aid to education, LBJ does it all. The most astounding legislative record, perhaps in the history of our country, but rivaled perhaps only by Franklin Roosevelt during the, during the, uh, the New Deal and the Great Depression. Why did LBJ accept the vice presidency? I mean, the, the thought was, I think, and you, I think it says in your book, you mentioned this, that the Kennedys thought he was going to decline. Yeah, I'm not sure that the, the Kennedys knew they had to offer it to Lyndon Johnson because he was so powerful. Lyndon Johnson was the dominant Democrat 
uh, in Washington in, in 1960, uh, without question, the, the most powerful majority leader, certainly of the 20th century, perhaps in history, he understood power instinctively. I, I think it was, you know, there, there are different accounts uh, about why Lyndon Johnson took the presidency. Uh, the Kennedys will say it was done out of courtesy. I, I'm, not, I don't, I'm not sure I'd buy that. They very much wanted him to accept the, pre, the, the vice presidency because they needed Southern balance on the ticket. And uh, Lyndon Johnson was not only a bona fide Southerner, but had real political clout. And if you, you know, if you look at how the squeaker that was the election, as I mentioned, John F. Kennedy only wins the presidency by two tenths of a percentage point, then you realize how important that Southern balance becomes. You're not going to win the presidency without Lyndon Johnson on that ticket. But importantly, the other reason that Lyndon Johnson is chosen by Jack Kennedy is because Kennedy chose him for the reasons you you should choose a vice president, which is that he can discharge effectively the duties of president if called upon to do so. And when he is assassinated, Kennedy in 1963, we see Lyndon Johnson stepped up. He knew instinctively what to do because he understood Washington and he understood the way that power works. There was a quote in your book about when Kennedy, I think he said it to Jackie uh, about well, you can't do anything about it if there's a guy with a rifle wants to shoot you. Was that when was that said? Was that said like just prior to the shooting? Astoundingly, uh, Steve, it was said the morning of. It's um, uh, amazing. Of November twenty second, nineteen sixty three, when Kennedy wakes up in Fort Worth before going to Dallas on that fateful trip where he where he is assassinated by Lee Harvey Oswald. You know, I think he, there, there's certainly premonitions of death. In fact, two months before Kennedy was assassinated, he's drifting on his sailboat on the Nantucket Sound um, off of the coast of Cape Cod, where the Kennedys, of course, had their, uh, their uh, vacation compound in Hyannisport. And he asks out of the blue, how do you think Lyndon would be if I were to get killed? And that's just haunting. Mm -hmm. He's thinking about the possibility of his own death. This is, by the way, a month after he loses, uh, he, his wife loses a, a child shortly after child, uh, uh, he, he is born. He dies 48 hours after he's born. And so the Kennedys are very much thinking about the tenuousness of life. And I think John F. Kennedy was aware of that anyway. He had seen two siblings die during the course of his lifetime. He had nearly died of illness and then later um due to uh, you know, his experience in World War II. He knows how tenuous life is, but I think he sees that something could po possibly take his, his life. And in fact, that's exactly what happens in November of 63. We're talking with Mark Updegrove uh, on the presidency of John F. Kennedy, a, a new book. Um, great title. And I love that picture on the cover. I know that, of course, Kennedy's always been photographed so many times and always took a great picture, but the guy with the camera right behind, you know, out, out of focus, but uh, he's back there and there's Kennedy smiling on the front. It's, it's an incomparable grace is the name of the book. Mark, what about uh, LBJ in, in terms of uh, the, the way he performed in the White House? You, you, you recited, you know, the legislation he passed, the, the amazing job he did, got caught up in Vietnam. I, I don't know if that's the, that's a very uh, sort of, <laughs> easy way to say it, but Vietnam swallowed him whole. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they, that was such a travesty. I mean, not, not personally him, but the, the whole affair. Um, how much is Kennedy responsible for Vietnam? Because that's been brought up a lot. 
Well, I think there's the the the, the myth, uh, the the Camelot myth, that John F. Kennedy would have had the prudence to pull out of Vietnam and had plans to do so. There there is no evidence that, aside from anecdotal uh, stuff, that 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 uh, JFK would pull out of of Vietnam. In fact, two months before he dies, in in uh, back-to-back uh, interviews with uh, network television, he, he talks. He says it would be a deep mistake to pull out of Vietnam. We have to remember that this is a time when the dominant, the, the, the domino theory is, is the prevalent theory in world politics. That the, the theory that if we let a nation fall to communism, that the the, the communists would in in the Soviet Union or or China would be emboldened to take countries that were of greater uh, geopolitical significance. So it was really important to hold the line in Vietnam or else Thailand could fall or other, you know, Cambodia or other Southeastern nations. That was a pretty much uh, a, an accepted theory. And, and John F. Kennedy, again, two months before he's assassinated, says he subscribes to the notion that there is a domino theory. The one thing that we can infer though uh, Steve, is that that John F. Kennedy was very prudent as it related to military conflict. He steadfastly avoids military conflict when the uh, Soviet Union erects uh, a border in um, uh, uh, dividing East and West Germany. The Berlin Wall goes up um, and, and Kennedy uh, tries to avoid conflict there. The Cuban Missile Crisis most famously is where he avoids uh, an, what, what could potentially have been a nuclear exchange with the Soviet Union uh, is extraordinarily uh, cautious at that most perilous moment. And he avoids military conflict in Laos too, which threatens to to yield to communism. So we, we don't know what he would have done. What we do know is his military advisors and his, uh, his uh, uh, cabinet uh, is advising him to hold the line in Vietnam. And that's exactly what John F. Kennedy says he would have done. Lyndon Johnson, of course, we know doubles down in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the uh, the USS Maddox had been hit in the Gulf of Tonkin while, while John F. Kennedy were president, I'm not sure he wouldn't have sent troops in at that moment as well, which is precisely what Lyndon Johnson does. So we can we John F. Kennedy is one of those great might have been presidents, uh, and we can infer about what he might have done, but but ultimately we don't know. Right. And that's, of course, the fascination of history. Talking with Mark Updegrove uh, on the presidency of John F. Kennedy. One last thing, Mark, uh, you've, you've written about other presidents. You've, you've knowledgeable on, on uh, the, the life of, of LBJ as well as Kennedy. Any surprises when you went through the, the research you did for this book? Anything that's sort of like, oh, that's interesting. I mean, I would imagine you knew most of it. Uh, well, it, I, well, Steve, I, I, the, the one thing that, that did surprise me is that, uh, you know, Kennedy was very cautious on civil rights. Uh, he was not particularly proactive. That I knew. Um, and while he is associated with the cause of civil rights, to some degree justifiably, uh, he was he, he was trying to tamp down the civil rights movement, which was embarrassing to him at a time when, again, we were battling with the Soviet Union for hearts and minds across the world and showing that we were the better system. You can't say you're the better system when you're oppressing some of your own people, which we certainly did then and to a certain degree do now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he didn't want the Soviet Union to be exposed to that. Uh, and um, w- w- the, the crucial moment, I think, comes in 1963 when 
uh, Bobby Kennedy actually meets with a number of uh, artists and entertainers and intellectuals in New York. Uh, James Baldwin, the great novelist, is asked to put together a group of African-Americans to meet with Bobby Kennedy, and they give him an earful mm -hmm. about how uh, the, the black people are oppressed in, in our country. And, um, and it, it has a searing effect on Kennedy. He is, he is hit between the eyes by this. But he goes back and reluctantly says, you know, I, if, if I were standing on those sho their shoes, I would, I would think the same thing. And, uh, and he, I, I think he, he stirs the conscience of his own brother uh, in this moment. And Kennedy finally goes on television and elevates civil rights to a moral cause. And that makes a huge difference in the struggle for civil rights. Well, Mark, thank you so much for your time. Mark Up to Grove, Incomparable Grace is the name of the book. John F. Kennedy's on the cover. And uh, thank you so much, Mark. It's, uh, it is a great read. And uh, uh, an interesting, I say interesting as a, a euphemism, a uh, period of history that is worth recalling. Steve, thanks so much for having me today. Take care now. Bye-bye.